Our scripture for today comes to us from Esther chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. Listen now for a word from God. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Don't think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter. But you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. The word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Holy God, thank you for your word. I pray that you would open our ears and our eyes and our hearts and our minds to the message you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Several years ago, a woman named Dorothy Fletcher was on a flight from Manchester to Florida. And mid-flight, she began to have a heart attack. They were over the ocean. There was no place to make an emergency landing quite yet. And so the flight attendant came on the speaker and asked, are there any doctors on board who could help with a medical emergency? Fifteen cardiologists stood up. They were on their way to a conference in Orlando and happened to be on this flight with this woman. They were able to offer medical assistance and to help her until they got to a point where they could make an emergency landing, and she survived. Have you ever been in a place where you felt like you were just in the right place at the right time? I know that I have. I know that I have also been in places where it feels like I am in the wrong place at the wrong time. We as humans think about these things all the time, the places that we find ourselves and the particular times that we are in those places, and we wonder, where is God in the midst of that? And we also wonder what to do next, whether it's the right place, right time, or wrong place, wrong time. Where do we go from there? This is a question that comes up again and again in Esther's story in the Bible. Pastor Garrett read one of the most famous lines from this book where Esther is told, perhaps you are in this place for just such a time as this. It's a question that the book asks again and again, and it's not entirely clear in Esther's story if it's the right place yet or the wrong place. But this theme is worked through in the book over and over. 
We'll be spending the next five weeks taking a deep dive into this book of Esther and thinking about that question for her and for us as a people as well. Esther is this beautiful and sort of mysterious book in scripture that doesn't often get a lot of attention. And we decided that it would be worth doing this deep dive into it for a few reasons. And some of you know the first reason. We did an adult education series in the fall where we looked at lectionary texts. We looked at the calendar of scripture verses that are preached on in many churches across the globe, and we looked at what is left out of those lists. Not the, the entire Bible is not included in the lectionary on a three-year rotating basis. And we noticed as a class that one of the books that gets the least representation in the lectionary is the book of Esther. There's only one Sunday every three years where a very short passage is read. So it's a book of the Bible that a lot of us aren't very familiar with. We might have learned the story as kids in Sunday school, but we don't really talk about it a lot as adults. And it's one that this particular adult education class said that they were most interested in diving into. We've also realized that it is so helpful sometimes to really pick one book and go deep into it. We're so used to picking verses here and parables here and short pieces of stories, but we very rarely sit with a whole text and really journey with it. We also picked this book because we think it has something to say to us today. We believe that, of course, about all of Scripture, but there's something about this book in particular that feels like it's a good time for us to examine it. We're in the midst of a visioning process here at Fort Street, and we are asking that very question that is asked of Esther. Why are we in this place at this time What is God calling us to, and how might we respond? So over the next five weeks, I invite you to join us as we journey with Esther and walk through this story step by step. I invite you to read it on your own. It's uh, one that you can do in one sitting. It's ten short chapters. And I invite you to wonder with us as we walk through and consider that question of time and of place. Today we'll sort of take the 30,000 foot view and look at what the story is as a whole so that as we start diving in deeper we'll have sort of a context to place ourselves in. So the story of Esther shows up about midway through the Old Testament. And this is the time frame of about a hundred some years after the Babylonian exile. God's people had been sent into exile, and then some returned to Jerusalem, but others remained spread out in the region in the diaspora. And so this is about a group of Jewish people living in one of the Persian capitals, Susa, and they're very much the minority in this place. So they're living in this weird in-between time of post-exile, but not really back in their home and not really among their own people and trying to figure out what that means about their identity. And so in this city, there is a king. And this king is one of the most dramatic characters in all of scripture. He loves to display his wealth and his power 
And it's clear that he doesn't love doing the business of kinging. He leaves that up to his officials, and instead, the king has made it his business to throw lavish banquets. And so the story starts off really exciting with one of these lavish banquets. And the king of Persia has invited all of the surrounding governors and leaders of provinces around to join him for this display of his wealth and his power. And this banquet is 180 days long. Can you imagine? Sorry, I'm leaving you, my people. I'm going to a party. I'll be back in 180 days. It is this lavish, lavish banquet. And partway through this 180-day banquet, the king calls for his wife, Queen Vashti, to come and display her beauty for all of the people. The queen refuses. She says, I am not an object to be displayed. I will not come before the king and his guests. And so this, as you might imagine, upsets the king. He feels embarrassed and ashamed in front of these powerful people that he has invited to his palace. And so he has the queen banished, her crown removed, and he sends out an edict to all of the surrounding regions saying that what she has done is shameful and that every woman must obey her husband. So as the story begins, there is a vacancy in the palace. And this is where we meet Esther. Esther is one of these Jewish people living in this in-between space in the city of Susa. And she is being cared for by her uncle Mordecai. She has been orphaned and her Jewish uncle Mordecai has sort of seen her through and now she is a young woman and she is summoned with all of the other young women in the region to the palace to try out for the new position of queen. Esther's Jewish identity is a secret and nobody knows. But she wins the king's favor and becomes the new queen. Uncle Mordecai has been checking in on her every day at the palace gates, seeing how she is faring. And one day, Mordecai overhears a plot of assassination for the king. And so he reports it, and the two servants who had planned the assassination are caught, and the king's life is saved. Esther continues on as queen, but it is one of these strange relationships where she still feels fear toward the king, and she knows his power and his wealth could hurt her. This is where, in the story, another character is raised up, one of the king's officials named Haman. And Haman is a proud man who wants the same sort of power that the king has. And he asks that all of the people in the region bow down to him. Mordecai refuses. And so when Haman sees that there is one who is not bowing to him, he does his research and figures out that it's because this man is Jewish. So Haman convinces the king to send out an edict that all of the Jewish people in the region be killed. They roll the dice to determine the date on which this is to happen and then send out word to all of the regions that on this particular day, 
the Jewish people will be destroyed. Mordecai is deeply grieved and calls Esther to tell her what has happened. He asks her if maybe she is in this new position of power as the queen for such a time as this. Maybe she could do something and ask the king to reverse this decision. She's fearful knowing that if she goes to the king uninvited, she might be killed. But she says, if I perish, I perish, and she goes anyway. When she approaches the king, he still does not know of her Jewish identity, and so she sort of tries to warm him up to this proposition by inviting him and inviting Haman to another series of banquets. Only two nights this time, not 180. And she invites them to come and feast before she makes her petition of the king. In the midst of these banquets, Haman is feeling more and more murderous toward Mordecai, and he devises a plan to have Mordecai killed. But one night, between these banquets, the king can't sleep. And so he has one of his servants read him the record books from his library. That's sure to put you to sleep, right? And in this particular section of the records that the servant is reading him, he is reminded of the time that Mordecai saved his life by hearing of the plot of assassination and stopping it. And so the next morning, the king says, we need to honor this man, Mordecai. Haman is deflated. He wanted to have him killed, and instead, Mordecai is lifted up. That night, Esther makes her request at the banquet. She reveals herself as a member of this community of Jewish people and as Mordecai as one of these Jewish people as well. She points out that it was Haman who had ordered the killing of these very people and asks the king to reverse the decision. So Haman ends up being killed on the very gallows that he had designed for Mordecai. The king feels regret over this order of having the Jewish people destroyed. But he's not able to completely reverse it or take it back because it was an edict that was sent out. So instead, they brainstorm together and send out a new edict saying the Jewish people can defend themselves, that they should stand up and rise together and hold their own. They do, and they win success, and they are able to remain as a people. Mordecai is lifted up into the position that was once had by Haman, and together they are in the kingdom. This is the wide view story of Esther. It ends with this reminder that this is a story that should be told again and again. And in our uh, Jewish friends' tradition of their yearly calendar, this story is told every fall. It's a celebration called Purim, Pur coming from the word of the dice that were rolled to determine the date that the Jewish people were to be killed. But this is a story to remind them of God's presence even in the midst of trouble 
and hardship and in-between times of exile. The book of Esther is controversial for one really interesting reason. Controversial might be the wrong word, but it's been debated about its place in the Bible because Esther is the only book in the Bible that does not mention the name God. God is not explicitly named or identified anywhere in the book. It's very curious and unique, and some have said over the years, maybe it shouldn't even be in the canon. But again and again, it has been decided that, yes, there is something here that still teaches us about who God is, even if God is not named outright. I love this fact about the book of Esther, and I want to give us this challenge as we start this five-week series. God might not be named, but that does not mean God is not present in this story. It's an invitation that exists in all of our lives as well. Sometimes it's obvious where God is in our journey, and sometimes it is not. A lot of the time we're asking those questions, is that God's voice? Is that feeling I have God? Is this the right path? I'm not quite sure. So as we journey with Esther over these next five weeks, I invite you to ask the question of your own lives, of our lives as a church, where is God? Where is God named? And where is God moving, even if it's not so obvious? We'll be exploring this book in a few ways And I do invite you, as I said, to read it on your own, to wonder about it, to ask us questions about it that come up for you, to join us for breakfast and Bible study this month at 9.30 over in the kitchen where we're going to be diving deeper into this story. Join us and wonder together about where God is. Are we in a certain time and a certain place for a certain reason? And where does God meet us? Would you pray with me? Holy God, thank you for the story of Esther. Thank you for the times in our lives when we know your presence and we know your direction, and also for the times where we're unsure. Lord, as we journey through this book, I pray that you would meet us and draw us closer to you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.